Welcome to uh, Thanks for the Feedback with Sacred Reading Practices with CTEC Podcasts. I am Nicole Huff. And I'm Sylvia Ellison, and we're here to discuss chapters 12 and 13. The last two. And so it's interesting, as we're wrapping up this book, how the uh, authors in some ways give us a little bit more background about into themselves. Mm-hmm. Humorously, by the way. The football analogy. Yeah, I'm not going to name the name, but Doug had a problem with this, you know, I think. <laughs> um, I thought that was that was cute, but it was what was more interesting is how they pulled it all together, with really just like Lectia Divina, where it ends with a call to action. Mm-hmm. They kind of end with that chapter of get going, twelve, and then thirteen. How about your organization, and uh, that larger big picture piece? So I thought it was really interesting as we finished up this that they're really focusing on action steps, deliberate steps that you mm-hmm. can take to wrap all of this together, kind of putting a nice little bow on informational packaging. Yes, and so since the two chapters, A, go together, and B, are really a call to action in and of themselves, we've decided to ask one question for both of them which means Havrutha. we're using Yes, which means we're using Havrutha. So again, because we haven't described it in a while, Havrutha is from the Jewish tradition, and it is where the answer is between you. So ask a question of a difficult text or one that you're trying to understand, and it is not that the answer lies with the author or some expert. It is that through talking it out with somebody else who's also Mm. reading it, the two of you make the meaning. And in the Jewish tradition, they say that that's why the Torah stays alive, that it is a living document about things that happened so long ago because it is not just about the strict interpretation of exactly the right answer from that time. It's about the right answer from today for the people reading it now. I didn't realize that. I just thought, um, I like Havrutha because it requires a conversation. And I think that in a lot of ways, we shortchange ourselves and others when we do not talk about the professional learning materials or the texts that we're asking people to read and that conversation lack thereof limits our understanding or application of the text so i think you and i can attest to the fact that as we've been reading this entire text there have been times when we've said oh i need to do this with my spouse or oh i need to apply that too and we've Mm -hmm. even recommended it to people who are struggling you know receiving or giving feedback in fact, I have a, a an appointment in January set up with somebody who wants to sit down and understand uh, an evaluation or feedback system that we're oh. using because my level of expertise in that system is much greater than hers and she's feeling like that she may not be coaching her teachers the right way or in her mat, in her mind the right way. And she just wants to hone in on those skills. And so it was nice to be able to use the methods of this book to lead her to that that understanding. And I think that's really cool and awesome that I'm going to be able to do that. What a great opportunity. Oh, I know. For both of you. Yes, and it's an ability for me to learn and to learn how she's seeing things as well as her to learn how um, I see things, which is not personal, but how I've been trained to see things. Sure. Um, So in this book, Chapter 12 talks about five ways to take action. And there was quite a few things in here that were really a way to... um, get us into that thinking and then chapter uh, 13 talked about an organizational structure Uh, some of those things like an hr that are out of our control but maybe we could be coaching up and we're not thinking about how to do that so what's our question today so our question is how do we better our learning 
all of our learning, both individually and system-wide. That seems like such an easy question to answer. Oh, I do it by learning, right? <laughs> but I think the depth of that com- that question comes from all of the meat in mm-hmm. these two chapters. And how do you make learning visible? You know, this is interesting to me. It, it relates actually to something I learned with differentiation and a conversation I had years and years ago with an English teacher named uh, Tina Vana Pergola. I was talking about how I liked to be a little more interactive and coaching in in teaching and that the days of assigning a packet and sitting behind a desk were gone. And she said, I completely understand what you're saying. However, there can be some wonderful things in some packets because they help us to differentiate. And she said that in truth, She'll do an activity and everybody's going to make a poster and everybody's going to study a poet. But the way in which they make the poster, which poets they study, which poems they're reading and how they do it are going to be different all across the classroom based on kids' different needs. So that she very often makes packets because she'll make three or four lessons during the day. And so she can start with, we're all going to create a poster and there's going to be five things on your poster and you're going to, and there's going to be lots of specifics. So I'm going to pass those out to you and then I'll walk around and help. And she does a lot of the same coaching during interactive teaching that I do, but she also uses packets because she doesn't just have one set of directions. Mm. And that really made me rethink that and relook at that. Right. And I think um, it's interesting in that case that it's almost like you, as one of the activities suggested, you tried it on mm-hmm. or tried it out. I think it's tried it out. Like you put it into practice a little bit to see how it worked for you. Like the 20-minute conversation the lady brought down to five. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I've done some things like that, I've tried things out. But I think the intentionality of being a learner is willing to try things out when you're not sure they'll work. Right. Right. So that sounded like really sage advice that she gave you. So it's easy to try that one out. It was. What if somebody says to you, no, sometimes you need packets so that you can get work done that needs to get done. Well, trying that one on in my mind says (laughs) no. But then I think, you know, a packet would give me more time to do writing chats. Hmm. Right. So if I tried it on with looking from a different perspective, Mm -hmm. I could give not all the time, but maybe once every three or four weeks, say, okay, you guys are going to do this. And while you're doing that, I'm meeting with them. In my case, um, teaching seniors, I've avoided the packets by just waiting for senior checks. Right. When they do senior checks, they take half of my class. So guess what the other half is doing? Checks with you, right? Writing chats, writer and conferences, right? And so then we flip the next day and do the next day, do something else. Yesterday, when I did my differentiation lesson, um, I was able to sit down with small groups of kids and give them common feedback because they had Mm -hmm. common problems. And they were able to see that and helpful. So I think that um, when we do get feedback or ideas from others, as a learner, we do have some responsibility of deciding, is this going to be valuable or not? But I like the idea of instead of all or nothing, try it on or try it out. And that's really... What I used to, what I think actually both of us used to tell people in the reading endorsement differentiation mm-hmm. classes, that it was never about trying to DI and tier your lessons every single day, that this is something you tried once. And as a result of my conversation with Tina, I did take in my, um, it was then FCAP prep, 
class for reading, I looked at how they, how kids had done on their last FCAT and put them in groups based on the areas that they were weakest in. And I made packets with passages and questions. So everybody was reading the same FCAT passages, but I had a group that had compare and contrast questions. Mm -hmm. I had a group that had author's purpose questions. I had a group that had cause and effect questions. And of course, there were also some handouts explaining and some graphic organizers to use while you read. And I had gone over that we were all going to take notes and actively read and gone through an active reading strategy. They all then practiced their active reading strategy on the text that was common, but they had different questions for different types that they were working with. Right. so my try it out was that I, I really liked her suggestion in the end. There's so many other things in here that I thought that were interesting. Um, and so many connections I made. I will confess that at one point when I was going through National Board years ago, I did do an all or nothing scrap. Uh, <laughs> the feedback I got from your mother, in fact, <laughs> was that <laughs> this is awful. And as a result, I just tore it up and started all over again. It wasn't just that she said it was awful. She explained explicitly why I was just writing a bunch of fluff, that there was no, mm-hmm. nothing that could distinguish my writing from somebody else's classroom. Mm-hmm. And so that I had to write more specifically, I had to answer the questions and don't just try to give flowery speech. Um, I did, when I rewrote it, I got a perfect score on that one. So that was evidence that I needed to do that. But that was my choice to make. The one thing that I think about that's in this one is that Um, When we are deciding to be a learner, we have to decide how we want to pursue things. And so I thought there was, you know, the try it on, try it off is a great technique that they looked at. Um, I also like naming it because I think sometimes we have to name what we want. And the questions that you said is, what's one thing I could work on? Mm -hmm. But then the other one I really liked was, uh, what's one thing I could change that would make a difference to you? Mm-hmm. So imagine if I asked my students that um, as feedback, oh, even yeah. at the end of this nine weeks, I could say, what's one on, on a sheet of paper, not out loud, you know, but what's one thing, one difference that I could make, what's one thing I could change that would make a difference to your ability to read and write at the level that I'm expecting? Or what's one technique that you've had other teachers do or one rule that we have that could make a difference. And it could be something as minuscule as assigning seats uh, to something else as important as a specific more time in writing or more time to read or less this, that, and the other. Uh, I just think that, I think sometimes our students can coach us up and we, if we just ask the right question. Yes, and I wanted, I'm so glad you bring that up because I had wanted to point that out. In the section on, it starts on 280, when the person being coached is the boss. Oh, of yeah. course, they talk about it as being the boss, but I heard this as a teacher in a classroom talking mm. to his or her kids. It says, it's tough to get information to flow up an organization. Most feedback givers are anxious about raising their concerns, especially upward. But Isn't that where it says we might consider establishing a reverse mentor? Yes. That's a cool concept. Yes. Because, and isn't that what we do with our students when we, when we ask them for feedback and we actually take it? Uh, how many times have, have our teachers not done that? And if they had, uh, they wait till the end of the year to get an end-of-the-year survey. I, and colleges do it all the time. Right. They have that end-of-the-year survey that's totally anonymous that a student takes up. And then they get hurt, just like this one guy said, my kids think I'm arrogant. That's not my intention at all. And what if he had had that feedback earlier Mm -hmm. and he could have made an adjustment with that group of students? And 
I think that sometimes we wait as teachers till the end of the year. Same thing with our bosses. You know, we, we wait till the end of the year and we sit at that evaluation meeting and we're, in some ways, we feel scarred mm-hmm. because things are coming as a surprise. But man, if we just have more conversations, which yes. of course means we got to take some stuff off the plates of our administrators, but that's another conversation for another day. And on 282, it talks about inviting people in and how that transforms oh. the relationship. And if I'm a teacher and I'm inviting my students in, you know, it's talking about everybody's acre of garden here and what's ma- manicured that. and what's not and presentable and what you can help people out with. And what are flowers and what are weeds? Yes, was- but it says how we handle feedback in a relationship has an enormous impact on that relationship. And changing how we handle feedback can transform that relationship. I, yeah, I really like that top of that page. Everyone's acre is a mix of garden and junkyard. Uh huh. <laughs> Your garden maybe might be messy or manicured. The presentable bits a small plot or sprawling park, but we have a few things in the back shed, and we could use some help figuring out how to do those rusting heaps of fear and those old cartons of shame. You know, I take care of my mother-in-law and my dad as elderly parents, and I had to go through this kind of idea that. Uh, it's hard to invite somebody in to help you out. Mm-hmm. And I had to get over the shame of me having a messy house. Because I do. My house is cluttered. It's messy. Right now, it's got like 20 boxes of Christmas stuff ready to be put up. So I, right. Which requires time. Uh, but my sister-in-law and my nieces come over all the time. And every time they're over, I'm thinking, I, when I come in to relieve them, I think, oh, my house is such a mess. And then I remind myself that it's more important that they see the mess and help my mother-in-law than it is for me to have my mother-in-law home by herself and right. having trouble. And I think maybe our lives are like that too. Like imagine um, going to our Aspire group. Mm-hmm. The, some of these teachers are coming in with videos of their classroom. They're letting us writing, in. And they're, they're taking a chance mm-hmm. and they're taking a risk. And we are seeing the junkyard, the mm-hmm. weeds, along with the, the flowers. And they're fearful of what they're getting. So if we're lifelong learners, I think some of the things we can consider is that sometimes the questions that we ask them might be the best route. What is one right. thing I can give you today that will help you become a better writer yeah. or a better teacher? It says at the end, you know, one way to get feedback is to ask. And it says, some of the feedback has been more useful than she anticipated and then useful than others. But more important, she's making deeper connections. Mm-hmm. In letting herself to be helped, she's letting herself be known. And then if we look at the, the chart, because you and I always love the little boxes and charts, oh, yes. <laughs> on 277, the grab bag of questions for a coach and a coachee, if we think about some of those things as if a teacher sat down and said, what's working for you and what's not working for you in a classroom? And, you know, this, what motivates you? What does, what's your learning style? We I do like with kids. One. But who has given you feedback well and what was helpful about what they gave you? Yes. Think I about that before that. a data chat or a writing conference. There's the, a lot, there's of, a lot of the things in there that I, what helps you change There's a lot of things there where if a teacher could sit down with kids that show and and have these kinds of questions, it also shows us as lifetime learners. It shows us as willing to listen. It shows us as wanting to better ourselves, as not Mm -hmm. having all the answers, but still searching. And all of those are things that we want our students to do. Mm. I am. Yeah, I agree. 
I love the next section that talks about the mirrors too. And as if we're, like you said, modeling lifelong learning, it said there are two kinds of mirrors that we have. We have a support mirror, which is the person that is our cheerleader all mm-hmm. the time. But then he has, sometimes we have to shift to honest mirrors. I love the story of Amy in here mm-hmm. um, who went to Hank about her relationship with Ivan. And I, I mean, I could see myself a lot. And Amy had this relationship problem, but she went to Hank as her buddy, her friend. Yeah. And knew, knows that she can vent to him and he'll be, mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, and it's very supportive. And Hank wants to give her more, but Hank, wise, he doesn't stays until in invited. <laughs> but then Amy, maybe as a result of reading a book like this and realizing, okay, I can continue to complain about this relationship with this boss I have, or I can actually get some honest feedback. And so she shifted her own mirror and went to Hank and said, listen, I know this is the case, but one, I didn't tell you all the stuff. I didn't give you all the facts. Mm-hmm. And two, I need your honest feedback because I can't continue to work under this yeah, situation. And I think that. that as facilitators mm-hmm. that are helping teachers through National Board, as teachers who are working with students and with other leaders, with leaders in our school, that there are times when we have to admit that we have not put the honest mirror out. And I think might it be because of early in the chapter it said that we don't have enough appreciation mirrors out. Right. So a teacher who is feeling underappreciated or not appreciated at all is hard to ask for honest mirrors because all they feel like they're getting is critique and mm-hmm. criticism. The girl who had to say in the meeting, before you coach me, please tell me, how am I doing? And they were like, oh, you're doing awesome. How can you not see that, right? Yeah, and she didn't see it because she kept getting this this coaching. And sure, it's great coaching, but I just need to know. Right if I'm in the right line or not, too. It's almost like as a learner, we came back to that first chapter when it talked about the three types of coaching. Mm -hmm. And we want the coaching feedback, but we also have to have evaluation and appreciation to triangulate it and to make it more valuable. And to make it more valuable and to make it something that we can hear, I think we move into the next chapter, too. It talks about the systems. Mm. And we want to relate this to National Board. We want to talk about the fact that in the chapter it talks about evaluation systems and how none of them are perfect. And the HR girl who got fired because she wanted a new system and was telling them all the benefits of the new system and the board only saw the drawbacks and didn't didn't vote for it and ended up firing her. She ended up leaving the company. And the new girl came in and said, I want the system she said no to, that you guys said no to. And they were like, well, what are you talking about? She's like, well... It has drawbacks, let's talk about them. It has benefits, let's talk about them. And then you and I talked off air about weighing it and saying, it's about weighing the system against other real systems, right. not against some imaginary perfect system because that doesn't exist. Right. And when we're talking about national board, we're looking at a measure of your teaching, but it is not going to perfectly measure who you are in a classroom. It's not going to be the end-all be-all of if you're a good teacher or an excellent teacher. There are gonna be some drawbacks. There are gonna be some areas where you do some things that you can't show in a video Mm -hmm. or in writing. There are gonna be some questions it doesn't ask that you want them to know about you. But if we talk to candidates, maybe in an early session when people are starting to think about going for national boards and starting to write or picking which entry to do. If we talk about what it does showcase and what it doesn't showcase, 
what the benefits are of being able to prove that you can do these competencies and components versus some of the drawbacks, the systems that they're having you do versus, you know, like, yes, there's a multiple choice test and there's writing and there's video and yes, it's a lot, but maybe that's so that in different modalities we can show Well, and I think that there's more to it. And I think that um, it's about a process. And I think the problem with people see with National Board is that the feedback that they get is a number and that's all they get. And they feel like it's, it's such a disservice. In full disclosure, last year I know a teacher got her score back from her first entry and it was the same score I got this year, which I just found out yesterday was a 2.0 on my competency two differentiation. And you know, we both went through the same grief cycle, but the outcome was different. My friend decided not to continue her pursuit because she, in some ways I think she's been getting inflated feedback elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so it made her feel like that number was not a true measure of her worth. Well, it wasn't. She's mm-hmm. an excellent teacher. Right. I'm an excellent teacher. Mm-hmm. When I looked at the number, I went, oh, that, that hurts. And then I remind myself, well, Sylvia, last year was a crazy year. Mm-hmm. And you wrote that paper in one week. Mm-hmm. So it that's wasn't pretty perfect. good. <laughs> no, for one week, that's really good. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was hoping for a two, right? But the other thing it did for me is it, it when I got the score, it reminded me of whatever, all the struggles I had in, in that component and it pushed me Mm -hmm. as a learner to figure out what I was doing not necessarily wrong but what's one thing I could do differently that could actually have an impact on my students so I got the results and I realized I told my students that the lesson for that day was going to be based on their writing from Friday so I looked through all their paragraphs and I realized that I had four groups of four different groups of writing issues. Mm-hmm. And so I separated them out and I created four quick little lessons and I um I went to my room and I moved the desks and I, I had them assigned seats by their post-it note paragraph, you know. And then I, I, I got one group started and I went I told all what we're doing, uh, um gave basic directions to my, my three advanced groups. I got my bottom group started with a a manipulative thing. And then I went to my highest group, my mid group, and, and then, you know, was working and came back to my low group. In the middle of that class, one of my kids in the mid group said, Miss, this is the best lesson we've ever had. I was like, why? He goes, because we're learning something about writing. With that in mind, it also made me have a hard conversation with my lowest kids who thought that they were really good in writing, but they couldn't write. They had no structure that was understandable. And then, and then it helped me, you know, get to some grassroots issues that were my kids writing. Now... All of that could have happened without that score coming to play. But I think the feedback that I received on my idea of differentiation, which has always been a challenge, pushed me as a learner to do something Mm -hmm. new and different. And then the feedback my students gave me, Mm -hmm. even if it was just one, the rest of them were like, oh, yeah, this was good. I think I'm going to reap the benefits later. But as a teacher and as a learner... I improved as a result. So I think that national board, sometimes people see it as unfair or unjust or not enough. You just get a score. Um, but that score can do a lot if you understand the, sure. the game, not the game, if, when you understand the process of a lifelong learner. And I feel like when I went through it years and years ago, what it taught me how to do was reflect. Mm. It didn't necessarily teach me how to plan. Right. 
I had to plan lessons and I had to teach lessons and then I had to write about them. And the writing about them and then giving it to somebody else and letting them help me coach through it and revising my writing and doing it and again and again, that made me a better reflector. And by being able to more accurately reflect what was going on in my classroom and think about it and analyze it, I was able to become a better teacher and learner because I could be a more honest mirror for myself. And so even if you only get a number, you get a number and then you've been taught to reflect. So go ahead and reflect about how you ended up with that number. Right. So I think what's interesting is, you know, our question is, um, how do we become better a, learners? How do we ber- better our learning or become better learners? And it's interesting that the last part of this chapter, the last chapter was promoting a culture of learners. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easier to be a lifelong learner when you have people around you who really want to learn as well. Yes. Um, I think that uh, the story of, and I cannot say her name for the life of me, is Sajia. Yeah, I wasn't sure how to say it either. The story of Sajia reminded me a lot of the story of you and I, in that we, we have some talent, but our talent really comes from our, our hard work and our mm-hmm. um, willingness to go above and beyond. Not because we're going to get credit. But because I know that if I sit in on that meeting, I can learn how you deal with people. Um, I remember your first year teaching, I knew that I needed to improve my work with small groups. And so I went to your room to watch how you dealt with small groups. And there's just a couple little things I picked up on, like what I should hear you saying is this, and what I should not hear you saying is that. Like, duh, why didn't I tell people that? I went back to my room, tried it, wow, that worked great. The next year, I went to the Kagan training that mm-hmm. the district was offering, and all of a sudden, I went, oh, now I have more answers. So I, I think that when you surround yourself with other people who are like that, some people call it finding your tribe, some of it um, looking for bees, you know, because you're, you know, mm-hmm. you're looking for a hive of learners. It's interesting that we have found each other, and we have found other people like us. But I wonder what it would be like if we, had cr- we could create a culture for learning on our campus, in our yeah. district, that goes beyond the promotional powers. It goes right. beyond um, my the requirements or the contract language. But it goes to, I want to learn more. So when you're having that parent conference, can I just sit in and see how you deal with parents? Because, yeah. man, you seem to have a good rapport with them. It talked in this book, one of these two chapters, about how if really your feedback is only coming from your boss, that it is okay to just go solicit from other people. Mm. And that you don't want to be the person who's like, how am I doing? How am I doing? How all the time. But what you do is ask them about themselves. You handled that parent conference very well. At the end result, you guys were all happy and the student was doing work again. How did you do that? Tell me more about that. I want to listen in so that you look at those strengths around you and you're asking people for what they're doing well. So that collegial community is wonderful. I would love to be at a place where we could just walk into each other's classrooms regularly and take some notes and be like, I know you do good things. I just wanted to watch him and get some tips. Right. It was like that story of Chad, I think, where he knew he he could help this lady with her son, but he, he felt like she never was open to it Mm -hmm. and so one day I guess somehow 
he asked he about a problem with him with himself. Yes, and he made himself vulnerable. And she's and you she could say, I knew you had this and I could love da 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 and she helped him and all of a sudden she was she opened the door for him to give her mm-hmm. advice about her son. I love that idea of being vulnerable. You did say it right though. Don't keep going to people saying, Help, 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 help because then after a while they're going, Oh my gosh, what's wrong with this kid? That they're always asking for help and never taking anybody's advice. Right? But mm-hmm. it's about taking the advice and then, then doing something with it. It's yes. like going to, um, I went to a training last night on academic moves. And it's, what am I going to do with that now? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it was a great training. And I could have just said, wow, that was wonderful. I had fun. I enjoyed it. And do nothing with it. But that doesn't make me a learner. It makes right. me an attender. So what am I going to do to learn? And I, and I think that there's so many ways that you can use the feedback from others uh, to encourage or to improve yourself. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of that pyramid of learning that we used to see in the research in Chris, where if you just listen and you're hearing a lecture, you retain like 10% of yeah, it or less. Yeah, there's no research behind that one, by the way. <laughs> oh, on the, on the pyramid? Uh-huh. Yeah, there's no research if, to back that up. However, if you think about it, if they listen for... If they do, they start with listening mm-hmm. and then they go to discussion and then they go and it's kind of a cyclical process. Oh. Then they retain 95% of it. But if you just throw a kid and say, teach yourself or teach others this well, concept, right? Then they don't retain anything because they don't know anything. No, but, but the idea, the idea of the fact that the more active you are and the more likely you are to learn some things and to keep it with you. So the interesting thing about that and the reason why I wanted to bring it up it's not really about the research and the specific right. numbers anyway, but rather about the fact that if we're talking about how to better our learning and a lot of times we go to trainings and there's not the transference back to your classroom. I think that what's interesting is that overall what it's saying is that we have to be more active. Yes. We have to seek out. We have to ask questions. We have to work hard at it. And the more people we pull in as well, that it's not just about listening to one person and it's about what I do after this. Yeah. And I think that's where um, we're going to have to become as facilitators um, when somebody decides to, when a candidate comes in and decides to work with another facilitator, we have to remind ourselves that maybe they're just getting multiple sides of feedback. Maybe they're trying on somebody different Mm -hmm. um, to see if that person has a better grasp of the situation. I know some people think that um, you have to be in the same content area to give feedback, but you know, Sabrina, for example, is a great feedback giver and she's history and yet I'm English. Mm-hmm. It's about teaching. It's about me, the person writing. Um, yeah, I think what you're referencing on, is on page 305 when it says, encourage people to discuss your blind spots with you. Mm-hmm. Shift from blame conversations to joint contribution conversations. And I think that when we're receiving feedback or we're giving feedback, um, we need to make sure that it doesn't come across as blame, um, but it comes across as problem solving. Um, our school has a principal advisory council, a PAC. Yes. And I thought uh, this is a great place because Ms. Brano asks teachers from every department to come with their problems, but not just to complain about them, but to be solutions oriented. What that does is it totally opens her up 
to what are the blind spots? What are the things I'm not seeing? Mm-hmm. When you run a building of 170 people, 120 of which are teachers, and, and we as teachers think that we're like the only ones on the planet here. <laughs> and then we forget that there's lunchroom issues and there's custodial issues mm-hmm. and then there's outside coaches issues and then there's parent issues. All of these issues that come to play are part of her plate. And so she, like we, are going to have blind spots. And so I think that in, in this case, our PAC, our Principal Advisory Council, is, a, is her way of modeling learning reaching out of being vulnerable and if she's vulnerable then we can be too right and, the, and it increases the number of people we're asking and looking for with those mirrors and I've sat on that committee one time and I remember her you know she actually wisely they were talking about an issue I can't I think it was like tardies or something she goes and well what's the drawbacks of our current system and what's the benefits of our current system so what do we need to do you know and it's almost like she knew to go through this process so people could go Mm -hmm. oh you're right this is the best possibility she did that with me when we were planning the hamilton field trip last year Mm -hmm. in order to figure out all of the places that there might be pitfalls she wanted to say yes to the field trip and then but before she actually ate because she's like this is an awesome idea and i'm really excited about it now let's talk about all the specifics and see if it'll work for us and our students Right. She's good at that. She's good at seeing where programs are and should mm-hmm. or should not be and where um, systems and in the I found an article recently that talked about habits instead of goals or habits and goals. We talked and about so, it last week. Yeah. And I think goals would be in regards to feedback. My goal would be to always be open to like to limit to or decrease my grief cycle when okay. I'm getting feedback I don't like. But my habit needs to be every time I get feedback, I can try a piece of it on. Oh, I like that. You know, like uh, somebody said to me the other day that they didn't, um, that when we were in meetings, they didn't like to give me feedback on a professional development I'd written because I took it so personally and they felt like I got defensive every time. So the next meeting that we were all in together and I was doing that, I was presenting something, I finally just stopped. I stopped everybody and I said, I need to take a pause here for a second. And I said, I need you guys to know that I am a verbal processor. So when you give me feedback, I am trying it on. I actually said that and didn't even realize I was, you know, I need to try it on. And I verbally process through what it sounds like so that I can go, is that really what I meant? Did I not communicate right? Oh, then maybe that is where, and all I'm doing is processing it. I'm not trying to be uh, devil's advocate even. I'm not even trying to argue mm-hmm. with you. I'm processing it. And it was interesting because one other person, and there's three, there's four of us together, and one of them said, I knew that about you. And another one said, oh, you know you didn't have to say anything. And the other one went, oh. Like, it dawned on her, now I know. And I think that just having that conversation about how mm-hmm. I learn. Yes. And gave them permission. To coach you. To coach me or to give me feedback and not feel like I was being mm-hmm. offended by it. So and the, what that does in the end is it makes a better product. Yes, and both of you can now better learn from each other. All of us can, yeah. Yes. Because now, because what it also did is it opened the conversation up. So we had a meeting now a week after that conversation. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, well, the person who learned something about me said... Um, I don't understand because this is what was asked of me, and now it sounds like it's not being used in there. And I went, oh, 
I didn't know about that, but hang on a second. Maybe that's what she's referencing in this step because one the person wasn't, the co-writing wasn't present. And so when I said that, she went, oh yeah, that's what I meant. She, if she had not said that, I wouldn't even have a clear understanding of what was meant. But now because she was brave enough to say it because she understood my pro learning process, mm -hmm. because I allowed for that and opened the door for that, we worked better together as a team even. Sure. Uh, so it sounds like we're reaching into our own calls of action, even though that's mm. Lectio rather than Havrutha. Yes. Overall, it sounds like as we try to answer our question about how to better our learning, that what we want to do is make it more obvious, that we want to have more discussions around it, Yes. that we want to ask and involve more people, and that we want to try it out. I agree. Try, find a small piece to try. In the book, they actually make two very important claims that are, um, it's basically, I think, the same statement said two different ways. And the bottom of page 308, they say, first a reminder that regardless of the context or the company you keep, you are the most important person in your own learning. And then they wrap it up by the last sentence of the whole book on 309. But while learning is a shared responsibility, in the end, it comes down to you. And those are not the only two places they say it. They say oh. it on page six in the very beginning oh, really? because I have it underlined from there. We like the word pool because it highlights a truth often ignored that the key variable in your growth is not your teacher or your supervisor, it's you. Oh. It's all well and good to hope for a special mentor or coach. Cherish those when you have them, but don't put off learning until they arrive. Isn't that so interesting how they begin and end with the same idea? So how do we better our learning i think that the answer that we've come up with is one it's our responsibility to find receive experiment i love that word experiment mm -hmm. by the way all sorts of the, the learning that we can whether it be content whether it be mm -hmm. pedagogy whether it be communication whether it be time management, there's also many areas that we have to, and we just have to be really willing to learn. I think it, the surgeon was a great example. The surgeon was doing great. Yeah, and, and felt, still asked for a coach. And still asked for help. And as a result, didn't change his success rate, but lessened the complications rate. And the people he was teaching got more out of it. Oh, and the people he worked with liked it yeah. too because he, he made them better and stronger, more confident. There's so many positive things there. So um, as we're wrapping it up, we want to remind you we have the live webinar next week, but we want to introduce you to one final sacred mm -hmm. practice. We talked a little bit about this last week, but overall we want to try Florilegium, which is the flowers within the ledger. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about what sparkles. So again, we're asking you guys to look at quotes from anywhere in this book. What quote did you mark? What stood out to you? If you have more than one, then submit more than one. That's fine. Yep. Just tell, tell us the page. <laughs> yes, tell us the page that they're from so that we can put them in order. And we are going to take all of the little sparklets or flowers from this text and put them together in order to make a new text. So that in our webinar, we can create this text, share this text, and then analyze and digest it together and have the answer be among all of us. Yeah. and. We can actually, um, because of the way the webinar format platform is, we can actually create it as a handout mm -hmm. and uh, submit it electronically so everybody can download a copy and see it. As we're reading through it, we can read it through together. 
So the eyes are reading a new text. I think that's going to be great. And as I was reading these past couple chapters, uh, I was thinking, oh, there's so many nuggets in here that we didn't even get to talk about mm-hmm. that I can't wait to see if they come up. So I know that we will each have our own. Um, we would, I would actually encourage you, like uh, Nicole has done in past books, is to try to find one quote for every chapter or for every section. Uh, if everybody did that, we'd have to, uh, you know, prioritize some because it would be way too long. But, you know, find, don't hesitate with just one quote, but maybe there's one from every section that you just found exciting or enlightening. And then mm-hmm. if each of together, us find one, if each of us find one, we'll have about 20 and that'll make a nice little text. Mm-hmm. It'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how this one um, full unfolds. I will, as we ending, I will be truly excited for next week's webinar, but I have so enjoyed mm-hmm. uh, reading this book. The first time I received this book was a few years back, and it was such a negative experience for me that I never finished reading it. But using these sacred reading practices and having mm-hmm. conversation as a learner, I realized that obstacle, mm-hmm. I'm so glad, was was eliminated this time around because this feedback has been a wonderful learning experience for me. Uh, reading the text and having conversations about it. I've, I think I've grown as a person as a result. I'm also really excited. It makes me excited to keep learning, that while this book is ending, we hope to continue reading other books. Sylvia and I are going to read Fact versus Fiction together next. Mm-hmm. And it also makes me want to introduce and also kind of remind you guys of another spiritual practice. There's one I haven't used yet in any of our book studies, <sighs> but I love the symbol and uh, metaphor behind it. So I just want to share real quick because it's applicable to this book as well. And that it's a, it's a practice called Pardes. And it's actually very similar to Lectio Divina in that you, you pick a quote and then you track it with multiple things throughout. And each of the words or each of, each of the letters of Pardes stands for something that you do. Um, But it is Hebrew and the actual word Pardes means means orchard and the idea behind it is that when your text is rich you can literally walk through the orchard and pick anything from it pick any piece from it and you will get fruit it will bear fruit so that as you do the work in pardes and you look at the literal meaning and the allegory here and the shot there and the and the sowed and all of the things that it stands for the nitty gritty of which are not important here. The point is that these sacred practices say that no matter what piece of text you pick and no matter what little piece you pick out of that text, if your text is rich, you will it will bear fruit. So it sounds like you've, one, opened my eyes to another reading practice that's very exciting, but I think we're gonna be able to use it in other future books as we work together. If you have an idea for a book um, that you would like to have conversation about, um, you can tweet it out with mm-hmm. um, tagging us at at C-Tech Podcasts. You'll see Nicole and my picture there. We'd love ideas for future texts. Fact versus fiction is one that's already been selected for us to do. Um, we're looking at possibly doing a fictional piece, mm-hmm. um, something a little more fun, and then finishing or going another round with some more um, really interesting pedagogical books. So lots of ideas sprouting. Thank you. Have a great day.